Welcome to Vibrant Potential. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Frickman. Thank you very much for listening. This is Vibrant Potential's 15th episode, and I've recorded about twice that many as I prepare to continue to bring you the best of science-based approaches and intuitive approaches as they relate to your health. As I continue to move along this podcasting path, I find that I'm learning and growing. Helping others express their vibrant potential has long been a passion of mine. Fitness is a huge part of that for me. After all, the body is a pretty important tool in this life. Today's guest, Mike Robertson, is a fitness expert. He's helped tons of professional athletes reach their potential, and today we discuss what you can learn from a professional athlete's training plan, how to prepare for and recover from your best workouts, and why it's okay to not kill it every time you're in the gym. Make sure you check out the show notes for more on how Mike can help you with your training goals at drchrisfrickman.com slash bulletproofathlete. Before we start, here's a quick question for you. Most people fall into one of two categories regarding fitness. Either you're like me and it's so ingrained in your life you forget why you started working out in the first place. I know for me, my workouts and adventures tend to keep me enthralled, coming back for more, and I really don't need to look for motivation, quote unquote, to get into the gym. Workout, feel great, recover, repeat. Or maybe you're more of a person who knows they're supposed to work out and you've really struggled with finding something that fits your personality, either for effectiveness or fun or both. Many of us go through life on autopilot, not really assessing where we are or where we're going. This may sound a bit deep for a podcast episode on fitness, right? Bear with me for a moment on this one. We learn so much by looking inside. As you listen to Mike and I talk about training programs and such, what feelings come up for you? What thoughts are you thinking? See if you can find a belief you're holding onto that is holding you back. What do you need to get your fitness on track? What do you need so that your body can yield the results and the experiences that you're looking for in life? Journal about it. Talk to a friend about it. But don't ignore it. If your fitness isn't where you want it to be, change it. If you need help, great. Get some. Life is happening, people. Whether you're paying attention or not, I'm here to help you find your vibrant potential. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges, as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques, so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. So I like the term physical preparation, uh, and again, it works great with everyday clients, especially with athletes, because I came up as a strength and conditioning coach. So when you think strength and conditioning, 
a lot of times people just think a huge meathead with like a goatee and a shaved head and, you know, 300 pounds. <laughs> and, and, you know, like if you work with athletes, there's a lot more to it than just strength and conditioning. You need speed and power and agility and flexibility. So the term flex, physical preparation is just a lot more all-encompassing. So I love that. It works great for athletes. It works great for your your end user, like your your more general pop client that comes to you because um, they don't care so much about strength and conditioning. They just want to look better or lose some body fat or build some muscle or you know whatever the case may be. So physical preparation is just a lot more all-encompassing, not only in regards to what you can train, but what your clients and your athletes think of when they hear the term. So I just really prefer physical preparation to say personal training or strength and conditioning, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Mike, I know that you work a lot with professional athletes and, and athletes of like a high uh, competitive level, probably collegiate and so forth. Do you also work with people that aren't quote unquote athletes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a smaller demographic now than it has been in years past. I mean, there were years where 90% of the people that I worked with were either CEOs or executives or stay-at-home moms. Um, so now that sh that ratio is almost totally flipped where it's like 90% athletes and that sort of thing. But I still have 10 to 15% of my clients that are, um, for example, 2R competitive power lifters. So not athletes in the sense that they go out and play a team sport or a ball sport, but you know they compete in the sport of powerlifting. Another lady um, actually came to me because she wanted to powerlift eventually, had a very serious car accident, some brain uh, issues that resulted from that. So she's been a really unique client in the fact that we're trying to basically rebuild her right? Like neurologically rebuild her movement patterns, that sort of thing. So yeah, I get a wide mix of, uh, of people coming to my gym and people coming to work with me. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, in particular, the last one for me, I, I'm a functional neurologist. And so I've worked uh, quite a bit with traumatic brain injury and concussion and, and vestibular rehabilitation and, and things along those lines. So not to take too far of a tangent, but do you mind telling me anything about what you're doing with her and what her goals are and stuff like that? Yeah, are, like are you working in tandem like with a doc or a PT or something like that or or just kind of doing your own thing with her? Yeah, well, she got released from the doc. So there was uh, probably a two to three month period where I didn't get to do anything with her. Um, and she was actually kind of and you could probably comment to this, but uh, she was actually told not to exercise for mm. a certain period of time. So um, whereas I would have gone maybe the opposite route and at least done some low-level aerobic work or something. Um, yeah, probably don't hit any soccer balls for a right, while. But, uh, right, don't run into walls, that sort of thing. But uh, but yeah, so once she got released there, um, she's always worked um, in conjunction with my business partner, Bill, who is a physical therapist. So he's constantly working to figure out where she's at um, movement-wise, nervous system-wise, um, so that we can get the best for her when she comes in the gym and works with us. So, yeah, she's really a unique case. And uh, you mentioned her. We've actually got a guy that comes into our gym. Um, he has no short-term memory. So he had some sort of, uh, I think it was hippocampus damage. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, he's the most fascinating guy. He's probably late 20s. Um, he'll give you a fist bump and introduce himself. And five minutes later, he'll do the same thing. Um, cause remember he, he just doesn't have that short term memory. But the fascinating thing is any country song, any hip hop song from the nineties or two thousands, 
he'll rap or sing every lyric, every verse, because that long-term memory is still there. It's, it's very fascinating. So we've got a handful of people like that to come into our gym too. Oh yeah, that is super fascinating. You need about 21 days for the a short-term memory to be transferred into more of a long-term memory. I know the neurology and the and the biology that is taking place in there. Even in my neurology practice, I've never met anyone that had uh sounds like essentially an ablated hippocampus or something. Yeah. I mean, how how does he go about his normal day? I mean, it sounds like it almost would be like an Alzheimer's patient, except for without the physical part of that. But yeah. I mean, how do you like wake up in the morning? Did you ever see that <laughs> old movie Groundhog's Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of like that. Um, I think there's a, a low level of awareness for those of us that he sees, because um, he's been coming to us for at least two years now, mm -hmm. that we're a safe person or a familiar person, even if he doesn't remember exactly who we are. Uh -huh. um, so maybe there's like some limbic, uh, like emotional exactly. stuff in there. Okay. Exactly. But, but yeah, a lot of times our interns actually work with him. He's got a caretaker that brings him to and from the gym. But yeah, it's really cool because, I mean, they have him play soccer and they have him carrying kettlebells and, you know, working like through the agility ladder, not like an athlete would, obviously, but just working on right, left functioning, that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah we just try and make great. it as, as play, as play based as possible. So I mean, again, what would you do with like a young child? And that's a lot of what we do with this gentleman. So it's pretty cool. Wow. Fascinating. So Mike, what are some of like the big things that you do with professional athletes or other high level competitive athletes that can have some crossover into um, just someone else who, I mean, I always struggle with how to talk about this because, because I use a word like just, but not that there's like anything wrong with this, but someone who's essentially not a competitive athlete, but would still like to, uh, you know, stay fit and, um, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, they want to look good and, and feel good and, uh, you know, maybe they do want to run a 5k or something like that, or, or maybe it's just about like, you know, kind of staying on top of their mental game and that they know that their body has a big part to play in that. What's the overlap between someone like that and training a professional athlete? Yeah, you know, I think they're a lot more similar than most people think. Uh, a lot of times people assume that if you're not an athlete, well, I don't need to train like that or I don't need to train all these qualities. And and I would really beg to differ. I think a lot of your, what what I always refer to as your general population clients, right? These people absolutely benefit from training a myriad of different physical qualities. So speed, strength, power, conditioning, um, those are all hugely valuable things for your clients to have. For instance, power. We talk about you know strength being one of the first things that goes when people age. But when you look at clients and athletes over the age of 60, power is actually the first thing that they lose. So all of our older populations train power. We got an 80-year-old doctor that comes in our gym. The guy wants to play golf. So we try and prepare him for the sport of golf by doing some rotational med ball throws. It's mm. not You're not going to be wowed at the physical prowess of this guy. But again, he's training power in his own right. Uh, same with conditioning. So just really quick, do you like poor man's definition of power and strength? Yeah, so strength is quite simply how much weight you can move or how much weight you can lift, right? Irrespective of time. Whereas power is your ability to display force or strength quickly. So there's yep. that time factor. In physics factor class, they it. say strength is force, ability to apply force, and strength is 
uh, I mean, power is force speed, which is kind of like a funny way to, or speed force, which is kind of like a funny way to talk about it. But yeah, um, that's what it is, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's quite simply your ability to be strong in a quick fashion. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be. Instead of just thinking, how much weight can I load up on the bar? How explosively can I jump? How explosively or how far can I throw this medicine ball? That sort of thing. So these are all physical qualities that that I think a lot of people lose because they don't train them over time. Um, and yeah, it's really absolutely. simple to fall into this pattern, right? Um, a lot of former athletes, like I played sports basically my whole life. I power lifted for a while. It's really simple to go in the gym and just bang out weights. But you have to be a little bit more focused or you have to think about your programming a little bit more to think, oh, hey, you know, maybe I need to do some power work or I need to do a little bit of speed work, some short sprints, that sort of thing. Conditioning is another big one that we put a big emphasis on because people love to talk about high intensity interval training. Uh, absolutely the best way to lose body fat. Um, but I would say, is it the best thing to do long term or year round? Probably not. Uh, there are times to work on kind of that low intensity conditioning base. Um, lots of benefits from your your heart to building mitochondria, improving your capillary network, balancing your autonomic nervous system, so driving some parasympathetic tone. So you know all of these things are things that we do with athletes that your general population should do as well, albeit in maybe a different fashion or at a lower intensity. Awesome. So to what you're saying there, you're talking about, oh, like what would the term be like, like a macro cycle type of a thing where you're doing different types of training at different points of what the month or the year, depending on the person? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times what I'll do is kind of break it up into three to six month blocks and think okay. about, you know, like if, and that's one of the nice things about our gym, everybody that trains at our gym is, is basically on an annual contract. So we have a lot of time to kind of work them through all these things. But early on, a lot of times we're going to spend time on their movement quality, making sure they can do the basic movement patterns, squatting, deadlifting, pushing up, that sort of thing. So we're going to build movement efficiency. We're going to build their aerobic base. So giving them some longer duration, low intensity work, again, for all those benefits that we talked about, right? The heart, the mitochondria. Like running, rowing, swimming, those types yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. Or, or even circuits. A lot of times you can just do low intensity circuits um, for extended periods of time, say 30, 45, 60 minutes based on the person standing in front of you. So, you know, based on a day, we could do some low intensity prowler pushes, um, some low intensity med ball throws, um, but it could... It could be circuits. It could absolutely, absolutely be cyclical stuff as well. Just depends on what you're passionate about, what you like doing. I think the hardest thing with some of that, it, that types of exercise is it can get monotonous. So you got to find a medium that's going to work for you, right? Um, for me personally, I don't always have time. I do a lot of those workouts at the end of my day. So I've got a treadmill in my basement and I'll do like some continuing ed, either listening to podcasts or, or watching videos, that sort of thing. While I kind of do that. So you got to figure out what works best for you, but you can do it in a cyclical fashion, like a treadmill or a row or a bike, or you can do it non-cyclically and do circuits and that sort of thing. Whatever's going to work best for you is probably going to be the best bet. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that you and I sound like we're on the same page with that. I really, I always encourage people and I know I do this for myself too, but if, if I'm talking to people about uh, any kind of like physical, like preparation coaching type of stuff. I 
I do like to, whether they're training for something or not, uh, that's something that I think a competitive athlete, um, whether it's like at an age group level, collegiate level, professional level, they have usually some kind of goal in mind. And, and maybe it's to be like super duper fit for the whole football season or something. Or, sure. you know, maybe it's like Ironman World Championships in November or, you know, maybe, you know, whatever it is. There's, there's oftentimes a goal that they have, and then they can they can design their whole year around getting to that goal. And when you do it that way, if you're, I mean, if you have any kind of coaching knowledge at all, then when you're designing their program or your program, if you're doing it yourself, you can design it like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to build a base here. I'm going to get ready or something. And then, you know, training is going to get more and more like my event as I get closer to it and stuff like that. But it sounds like you take an approach where you're designing, you're, you're designing like the far out look of it first. And then you're designing like what's inside of that. Yeah, absolutely. You have to think big picture first, right? Um, you have to think about where do I want this athlete to be or this client to be in six months or a year because it allows you to think big picture, right? If somebody has 100 pounds to lose in six months, your approach is going to be totally different than if they have 10 pounds to lose and it's that last 10 pounds for, say, a bodybuilder or something like that. So you always think macro first and then you kind of dial in as you go. And the other thing that allows you to do is it gives you flexibility on the go, right? Because we all know life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, it allows you to really kind of focus in on, okay, hey, this is the big picture. What do I need to do on a month-to-month, week-to-week, day-to-day schedule to keep me on track and going in the right direction? Yeah, like, you I mean, even if uh, even if you miss a workout in a day or something, that you could figure out, like, okay, what was the point of that workout and how can I, like, you know, keep going I've- forward from here? Absolutely. Or or if you're scheduled to have a really hard workout, uh, say today, but you've got certain things that have come up, you're stressed out, you know, work's not going well, uh, your girlfriend left you, your dog died, you know, all these things happen. Well, today's not the best day to go in the gym and try and kill it, right? So how do you kind of adjust on a day-to-day basis to make sure that each training session is as valuable as possible. So it just gives you flexibility. Again, whether it's day-to-day, week-to-week, that sort of thing, you can constantly kind of tweak and adjust as you go. Nice. I think it's a sign of a good coach and someone who just has like a little bit of wisdom that you don't necessarily, you shouldn't be like forcing a workout. I feel like a lot of people think that, you know, okay, well, this is what I had, you know, scheduled for today and, um, again, whether it's like, it feels like more of a complex part of a complex, uh, programming or whether it's just someone that, Oh, I I only work out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and it's Monday. So I'm not going to work out again till Wednesday. So I got to make it count today. It sounds like your recommendation for people is, is that they always would listen to their body and just do what's right for them in the moment. And then try to like marry that with, with their overall goals. Yeah, absolutely. I think Again, the example that I always use is, or two, number one, if you know, you're know you under a lot of stress and your work isn't going well and you're not sleeping and all these things, even if you go in the gym and you attempt to have a good workout, number mm-hmm. one, it's probably not going to go well. More um, likely to hurt yourself. Exactly. I was going to say, worst case scenario, you get hurt. Um, but all training is, is your ability to adapt to stress. So if your stress bucket is already overflowed with all these other things and you dump more stress onto your body, 
your body is not going to respond favorably to that. You're probably going to make it worse. So a lot of times in that situation, I'll tell my, my client or my athlete, hey, we're going to foam roll. Uh, maybe we'll go through your mobility exercises a little bit. If you're really feeling okay after that, maybe we'll do a little bit of like light cardiovascular work um, just to kind of prime you and, and kind of get some parasympathetic activation, if you will. And then I'm sending you home because regardless, you may think you're ready to train, but I know from my experience that it's probably not going to be the best result if we do. And that's one of the differences that I've seen with professional athletes is um, a lot of times like you said, there's this whole thing about stress your system and then recover, right? And a lot of people that aren't athletes don't think, they don't really uh, program in the recovery. Like it's like, oh, I'll just, whenever I can get to the gym, I'll work out hard and then I'll go live my life hard until I get back to the gym. <laughs> and I think with at least the professional athletes that I've met, I feel like there is more of like this whole overall Hey, I got to be resting right now. Like I got to be resting right now. And there's, there's recovery is like part of the training. Yeah. With a professional athlete. It's like whether, whether they're getting like a daily massage or, or it's just like, Hey, I, I always have this, uh, this hour of downtime right, right afterwards or whatever it is for them. They program the recovery. I'm curious if, if you've seen that too. Yeah, I think the higher you go with regards to athletics, the more they've been exposed to, right? Whether it's in regard to proper nutrition, proper recovery, uh, it doesn't mean they always adhere to it, right? <laughs> um, you know, knowing and doing are two different things. But I think by and large, the higher up you go, the more likely they are to at least have been exposed to smart recovery practices, Um and it's something that I'm always instilling with the clients and athletes that I work with. It's not just how well you train on Monday, but uh, what are you doing Monday afternoon, Monday evening? How are you sleeping Monday night, Tuesday? Are we going to get a recovery workout in, something to kind of flush you out, prime you, get you ready for Wednesday's training session? Because kind of the model that I follow is Monday, Wednesday, Friday are typically the bigger days. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are more recovery-focused um, you know, it's cardiovascular work a lot of times, but in my mind, it's always thrown in there with the focus on preparing them for the next training session. And you're right. A lot of general population people just think, hey, working out is working out and I go hard and I go home. But yeah, it, exactly what they're doing is adding more stress to the already overflowing stress bucket. And a lot of these people would be well served to kind of pull, pull back on the reins a little bit. Mm -hmm. allow their body some time to recover because whether it's physical performance, which is what athletes get paid for or more cognitive performance, uh, i.e. A, a, a desk job that a lot of us have to go and work at, you know, cognitively, you're not going to be sharp either. If you're constantly overstressed, I mean, you know, as well as I do, you're going to have cloudy thinking, or you're going to make poor decisions, or you're just not going to be as focused. So I think a lot of of people that I work with, if they would make a bigger emphasis on recovery, mm -hmm. they not only perform better when they're in the gym, but they perform better at everyday life as well. Yeah, I think you're you're one of the really sharp ones, Mike, because you you understand that uh, stress of your overall life, like all the different stressors, whether they're physical, chemical, mental, emotional, whatever, 
all those stressors you said the stress bucket if your stress bucket is is overflowing it's not maybe the best thing to to go in and and stress it again certainly one of the nice things about working out is that you can to some degree make your stress bucket a little bit bigger so you can make yourself your nervous system your body you can make it more robust so that you can handle a little bit more but you have to do that in a smart, intelligent way over time. You can't you can't just go in on a stress on a day where you're you're completely maxed out almost and then try to hit deadlifts super duper hard. <laughs> One of the things I like about powerlifting is that you get this large neuroendocrine adaption response in your body if you're in a good place going into it. And sure. you're not gonna get that at all if you're already totally maxed out. No, you're absolutely right. You have to prepare the body to train at a high level. And I think that's a huge shift in mindset for a lot of people. Uh, They assume that if they go in the gym and it's a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday and they're supposed to train, that they're ready to train. And I think we, being in this field long enough and working with enough people, know that that's absolutely not the case. Everybody is at a little bit different point. Regardless, um, it could be the time of the day, their nutrition, their hydration, their recovery, stress, you know, all of these things play a powerful role in where somebody is at or their readiness to train on any given day. Yeah, right. And if you want to be super ready and be at the peak for a race or an event or whatever, then you need to plan ahead of time to make sure that you are fully recovered for the workouts. You can't just show up at the gym and then just be like, I I have to be ready for this event, so I have to make this workout count even though... I, my body's not in a place I'm I'm ready to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So give me some of your smart recovery practices that people can put into play if they wanted to. The first thing that I always try and dial in with my clients and athletes is sleep. And I know it's not sexy. Um, it's definitely the, the big craze right now. Everybody's talking about sleep and sleep hygiene. But I really feel like if you're not sleeping and not making sleep a focus in your recovery plan, then you know, I don't care how many supplements you take, I don't care how many massages you get, like sleep is like the cornerstone, right? And we see yeah. this time and again, whether it's recovery, whether it's skill acquisition, whether it's motor learning, sleep is really like the unifying thing. If we can improve the quality of our sleep and get more sleep, we're going to recover better. We're going to be able to train at a higher level. So sleep is really the starting point. From there, it, the waters are really kind of murky. And and the thing that I always am intrigued by is that when it comes to recovery, so much of it is perception, right? And what I mean by that is, how does someone perceive a certain modality? And I'll give you a practical example. Um, I'm in this field, I've always been pretty okay with my body. So like, I love massage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything more relaxing than going and just chilling out for an hour and having somebody just kind of work on you and letting you unwind. But there are other people out there that are maybe less comfortable with their bodies or they're not comfortable with somebody else touching them or mm-hmm. they don't like the room. So my perception of massage is this is a very relaxing, um, de-stressing environment and it's going to positively impact my recovery. For somebody else, it may negatively impact their recovery. It may actually increase uh, the stress level or the anxiety in their body. So, you know, the the next thing that I try and find is, well, what do you deem to be um, 
relaxing to you or, or what are some ways that you personally like to de-stress? So that could be massage. Um, I love float tanks. Uh, mm. I don't know how much experience you have with those, but I yeah, love them. I've been in them many times. Yeah, a couple of my athletes that I've referred them to really love them as well. So that's another tool that I like. Um, meditation or just kind of napping, that sort of thing during the day, whether just something to kind of shut the brain off during the middle of the day. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention breathing here. Um, it sounds, again, very simple, almost hokey, but breathing. Not at all. It, Not at all. Like, like deep diaphragmatic breathing, focusing on the exhale, focusing on the pause. Um, can make a huge impact in recovery. So they're not the sexiest options, but they're absolutely some of the most impactful that I've found. Yeah, I, I mean, I think breathing is huge. The, I mean, basically almost anybody that walks into my office and is, uh, is going to be a patient of mine, we end up at some point pretty early on talking about the autonomic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and I kind of nickname them out uh, respectively for people, the parasympathetic being the rest and digest nervous system where you need that engaged if you want to grow and heal and recover and those things. Yep. The sympathetic side being what everybody has heard of the, as the fight or flight part of the nervous system where you need that for more focus and, and performance and stuff. And it's important to have both sides, I always tell people. And the interesting thing about breathing and why I use it probably daily is that it's the only autonomic thing that happens in the body that is very easily accessibly altered consciously when you think about it. So um, not that you can't lower your heart rate or something, but a lot of times the way people, if you're going to try to control your heart rate, a lot of times the way that you do that is you might slow down your breathing, even if it's not consciously, right? Yeah. So you can really go in and and I think breathing is like the key to unlocking that whole where you're at with the growth and recovery versus the the focus and performance side. So doesn't sound hokey over here. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where some form of positional breathing um, and by positional, I just mean based on the position we want you in where we're trying to direct airflow. But yeah, we do some form of positional breathing generally before somebody starts working out. Um, a lot of times we'll incorporate that with maybe some specific movements or postures, that sort of thing. We call it a reset to basically try and reset or rebalance the nervous system as well as rebalancing the biomechanical system to try and get them uh, a little bit more movement variability. So we'll do that very early in the program. And then before they walk out the door, I think this is the most important thing that we do. We make them uh, do some form of positional breathing before they walk out the door. Because you think about training, I mean, we're driving a sympathetic response, right? We're running fast, we're jumping high, we're lifting heavy things. So sympathetic drive and tone are great when we're trying to be fast and strong and explosive. But once that's over, I want to kickstart the recovery process. So I always joke around like nutritional uh, companies have this figured out, right? If you yeah. haven't had your protein shake 13.875 minutes at the end of your training <laughs> session, you lose all your gains, right? So if it works for nutrition, it works for the nervous system as well. So before somebody walks out, we always make sure that they bang out, say, 10 to 15 really good breaths, or we even just set a timer. Say, you're going to lay here for three minutes. Full inhale, full exhale, pause for three to five seconds before you take another breath in. And they find when they walk out, we've already kind of kick-started that, that parasympathetic response and that recovery process for them. 
Yeah, and I think almost every yoga class I've ever been in, um, they've definitely mastered that. They at the end, it's always okay. Let's get into Tadasana. I think it's yeah. Tadasana. No, Shavasana. I, I'm not yeah. a yogi, so I don't. I yeah, get the, I get the Sanskrit names messed up. But they always have you lay down in corpse pose at the end, where you just yeah. lay down. And it's like okay, now breathe, get back into your body here, and it's it's always super relaxing, and it's a great thing to do at the end of a workout. By positional breathing, I just want to get a little more clarity. So you're talking about during the workout, actually. So are you talking about like. Uh, as you like in between squat reps or, or I mean sets or what? In, in some cases we may do that. Um, a lot of times it's if you think about the structure of our programming, we use what's called the R seven approach. So um, the first part is what we call release. So that's R one. So that's foam rolling, that sort of thing. R two is what we would call our reset, and that's where we're trying to um, get some of these really toned up, sympathetically overdriven individuals. We're going to put them in certain postures or positions. A lot of times we're trying to drive airflow into the backside of their body because sympathetic drive and tone drives them a lot of times into a very extended posture. So an anterior tilt, a big lumbar lordosis, that sort of thing. So we're a lot of times going to try and push air into the backside of their body to shut off a little bit of that tone. And what we find when we That's do that... That's an interesting way to talk about it, pushing air into the backside of your body. Yeah, well, think about... A lot of times when people think about breathing, they think diaphragmatic breathing and they think filling the belly, right? Um, yep. That's one of the, probably the most basic useful one for most people. We've all been exposed to that. But what a lot of people struggle with is pushing airflow into the backside of the torso or the backside of the body. So a lot of times we're actually trying to push air to the backside and shut off just a little bit of that tone because what we find there is we start to open up, say, hip range of motion and that sort of thing. Uh, we've probably all seen a video of it. If not, you can probably go on YouTube and find it. But uh, somebody is breathing, right? And they're just working on big inhale, big exhale, letting the rib cage come down, that sort of thing. And once they do that, all of a sudden, they magically got more range of motion through their hips. So maybe they have more hip internal rotation so they can squat deeper or they can load uh, a lunge a little bit more effectively. Well, that's all we're trying to do with positional breathing is trying to open up uh, some of this mobility that people have lost because they're not breathing effectively or because they're locked into this really extended posture. So really long-winded answer, but quite simply, we're just trying to open long -winded, up. Long-winded? No pun intended? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> But, but that's what we're trying to do is just open up a little bit more movement variability because a lot of times people that are very extended, they look great in a straight line. So these are the people that run super fast 100 meters and they squat a 1,000 pounds or whatever. We call them a sagittal monster. They run really fast and they're really strong if they can move straight ahead. Hmm. But anything where you ask them to move side to side or that sort of thing, they struggle with. Do you have any videos or anything like that where people can look and gain a little more clarity on what you mean by positional breathing? Yeah, you know, I've talked about it a little bit on my website and a little bit on my YouTube page as well. So if you go to my YouTube page, I know there's a couple videos there that talk about, about breathing in general. But I think the big thing is if you want to think about positional breathing, there are a couple big positions that we put most of our clients in. We either put them supine, so on their back and just kind of prop their feet up so they're in like a 90 degree angle um, with their, their knees and their hips. So supine, which is great for filling chest walls and filling abdomens, but a lot of people are generally pretty good at that. So we'll do some prone breathing, like a crocodile style position, 
where we'll roll, say, like a towel roll or towel roll or like an Airx mat or something underneath their abs. So we get them out of extension and then we have them breathe. So when we talk about positional breathing, it talks of we're we're trying to drive airflow to a specific area. So crocodile breathing helps us drive or pull air into the backside of our body because we block the front. So most of us, when we take a breath of air in, it goes into the belly, right? Right. So if I block the belly and then I take a breath in, well, now I'm redirecting airflow into the backside. So crocodile breathing is another one. Um, And one of my personal favorites, if you think about like a cat camel position, and you think about that kind of really flexed spine like position. Like cat cow, like that kind of like that yoga thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When I'm talking cat camel, it's exactly, it's the yoga position, right? So, you know, like the scared cat where it like, where you really round and kind of flex your back out and you're really reaching long. So go into that posture and hold it. So instead of moving in and out, just hold that posture. And now try and breathe in that position. And what you're going to find is you're kind of engaging your abdominals. So you're blocking the front side. And again, as you breathe in, you're trying to pull air into the back side of your body. So for a lot of people, it feels really good. It's going to feel really restricted early on. But as they start to shut off a little bit of that tone, as they start to increase flexibility on the backside, and keep in mind, it's not flexibility like bending over and touching your toes, but it's flexibility and just being able to shut off some of that tone and allow those muscles to relax on the backside. So that's probably one of my favorites is kind of that scared cat position and then just a good reach through the arms and then thinking about breathing into the backside of the body. I'm curious. I'm wondering if you ever think about rolfing or structural integration or uh, fascia, like what you're doing to the fascial planes as you're as you're having people do this kind of breathing. Well, first off, I was going to go to massage school at some point. I don't know how viable that is right now with two little ones running around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something I've always been fascinated by. Again, I'm a huge believer in massage, uh, and, and I've worked with massage therapists, rolfers, all these different disciplines. So I'm always fascinated by that. Uh, But you're absolutely right. So if you want to use kind of that anatomy trains this model, you know, part of what we're trying to do is shutting off some of the tone and through that superficial back line, right? You know, all those extension-based muscle groups, how can we shut some of that off? Because another thing that we tend to see is everybody knows, you know, a Uh, a big lumbar lordosis or an anterior tilt. But a lot of times too, what we see as a manifestation of that is an anterior weight shift with regards to center of gravity. So anytime we can kind of push the center of gravity back and restore a more joint stacked posture where the ankle, the knee, the hip, the shoulder, the back of the ear are in a nice straight line, the more efficient and structurally sound our body is. Got it. For the general population, Mike, will you have people do strength and power and muscular endurance and and some of these different types of modalities all within the same workout? Or are you a big fan of doing that, you said, three to six month block and then saying like this six weeks or this three weeks or whatever, we're going to work power and then we're going to work strength and then we're going to work cardiovascular. How much do you integrate each one into each workout versus that macro approach? Yeah, that's a really good question. Throughout the year, and again, athletes and general population are really no different other than the amount of time they have to train, maybe the intensity level at which they choose to train, and how far they want to push their training, right? Um, right. An athlete gets paid to, to be out of their comfort zone. So absolutely, I'm going to train all of those qualities all the time, but here's the thing. They're not always in equal proportions. 
So sure. it's not going to be like 20% to each year round. So very early on, uh, I'm going to put a huge emphasis on movement capacity. So efficiency, teaching people how to move well, that sort of thing, uh, that basic conditioning that we talked about early on. And then as we kind of grow and evolve our clients or athletes over the years, or, or months or years, depending on how long we work with them, then we'll have a bigger emphasis on, say, strength for a certain period of time. And then we'll make uh, conditioning and movement capacity more of a what we would call a retaining load um, or a stimulatory load. And then we'll go into a power phase. And now, again, strength and endurance are more in a maintenance mode, and you're really pushing the power. So you can see we're always exposing the body to a little bit of everything. But there are definitely dedicated portions of time where we're really trying to push uh, the volume in a certain area while mm. we're focusing on retaining the volume in other areas. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, Mike, I think that there's a lot of great information here for people if they're trying to uh, write their own programming or, or just even for you know food for thought as they're, as they're going in for their Monday workout or whatever. If they want a little bit more information you like I like I alluded to earlier. You have like some great online programs. Uh, you have a a little one that I think that people can get for free, like a little mini course that people can get for free. And you, I know you have a lot of YouTube videos. Yeah. But you also have some more in depth courses that people can purchase if they're if they're interested in that. Yeah. The two websites are robertsontrainingsystems.com, and that's more kind of the educational branch of what I do. So that's my podcast, my YouTube videos, my writing. Um, so that's a great resource. There's iFast Online, um, which is my gym. And that just kind of gives you, it, it's more of a business website, right? Like this mm -hmm. is who we are, this is what we do, that sort of thing. And then you talked about uh, as far as programs go, if somebody does need like a program that they want to follow, the Bulletproof Athlete program is probably their best bet. And as we kind of talked uh, briefly about before, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in, look, training is one part of it, right? So I give you a 16-week program, and it's broken up into different phases, and there's videos to show all the exercises, but there's also a much more holistic component to it because every week you have a nutritional goal, whether it's uh, starting to take a fish oil or improving your hydration. So there's always a nutritional goal, and there's always a recovery goal. Um, and literally week one, I think for the recovery goal is take 10 deep breaths before you go to bed. Um, so very simple little goals that you can start, uh, putting into your programming and into your everyday life that are not only going to help you be fitter and healthier physically, but they're probably going to pay dividends outside of just the physical realm as well. You're just going to move and feel better, probably be a little bit happier person to be around that sort of thing. So oh, it's a really absolutely. solid program. And I'm admittedly biased, but I think it's a pretty solid program. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I have not gone through the Bulletproof Athlete program myself. I will say that that everything that I've seen from you, I love your teaching style. You're very educational, but you're also to the point, so it's not super long-winded for people that just want to like some good information, get in, get out. I would highly recommend your programs to anybody. Well, I appreciate it, man. And I'll... uh when we get off here, I'll make sure I send you a copy so you can look over it and uh, maybe give you something to uh, to try if you get bored with your training anytime soon. Oh, great. I'd love it. That sounds like a ton of fun. All right, Mike. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. Dude, my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me, Chris. Absolutely. I look forward to the next time we talk. All right, man. Take care. You too.
Visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting-edge content, including nutrition and detoxification advice, unique fitness videos, and more.